Hello there, welcome to a brand new Arse Blog Arsecast right here on arseblog.com. Uh, this season, rather than have a end-of-season roundtable, well, we did have an end-of-season roundtable, but it was done in a slightly different style on Thursday night. That was last night, if you're listening today, and if you're listening to this at some point in the future, it was Thursday, the, um, the 30th of May. That's what it was. I, I was joined on a Google Hangout thing, which is where you know, they kind of have a camera and you all sit and talk, by Andrew Allen, by the Gunnar Holic, and also by Gilberto Silver from gunnerblog.com and we did the round table thing it was all live on air and there was well there were no nipples for those of you who wanted to get excited by that kind of stuff there there were no nipples we have a no nipple policy on the Arscast but we uh, had the discussion uh, on this Google Hangout thing and it follows we've taken the audio from it and that's our final end of season Arscast uh, for this particular campaign so I just want to say thank you to everyone who's listened throughout the uh, throughout the season it hasn't been easy at times it's been difficult and trying and frustrating and annoying but we've had some good times along with the bad times too um, so thank you all very much indeed uh, for listening uh, the Arscast takes a summer break now it needs to put its feet up it needs to lie in the water. It needs to sit on the shore, drinking a bottle of cava, smoking a joint, and eating a sausage sandwich. And who would deny the arse cast that? Only a, a very hard-hearted person indeed. So let's hope the summer goes well. The arse cast will be back at the start of next season. So until then, I'll leave you with the chat from the Google Hangout. Uh, take it away, that guy. All right, then. Welcome to the very first ever live Arscast Google Hangout thing. And it will probably be the last one. Um, I was explaining to the chaps that normally the Arscast takes me about three or four goes to to get the intro right. Uh, Given the fact this is live, I've got no room to fuck up. Or if I do fuck up, I'll just keep going and you're not to laugh at me. Anyway, introducing tonight's panel. uh, First up, a man who makes literally tens of pounds with his David Luiz impression. It's Gilberto Silver from GunnerBlog.com. Hello. Hello. Uh, next up, uh, we had a moment this season when Arsenal's most perfect hair met the Arsenal blogging world's most perfect beard, Andrew Allen. <laughs> and uh, thirdly, we have a man so wise that fools can't help rushing in to ask his advice. It's Gagunar uh, Holic. Hello there. Hello there, everybody. All right. Um, uh, hello to everyone who's watching or, and listening. And uh, I apologize. Uh, for all the stuff you might see in the background and, and what have you. So let's start. Uh, Gilberto Silver from GunnerBlog.com. Uh, with, with your thoughts on the season in general, because for me it was sort of like food poisoning. And you know when you're sitting on the toilet. Uh, whoa. What's that? What's up, man? Whoa, where is that coming from? <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> Can you hear us? Ah, I can hear that. I can hear us. Oh, I can hear that. I see what was going on. Sorry. See, this is the, the perils of, <laughs> Did of you have live broadcasting. broadcasting. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, then. Uh, um, well, there's no going back now, so we'll just have to crack on. Gilberto Silver, about the season in general, I was saying it's like, it's like um, food poisoning. So you're sitting on the toilet, and you're not sure whether to sit down or kneel in front of it or, you know, to do a poo or some puke. And then, and then that goes away, and you think you're better. And then... You're not, and you have to do some more poo and some more puke, and then eventually it's over, and you're very glad that it's over. Uh, And that's sort of the way I felt about this season, that I didn't necessarily soil myself or or vomit copiously, but in terms of enjoyment level, that's sort of where it was for me. But is it right to celebrate 
getting better from food poisoning? That's yes. the big question. <laughs> no, I um, I think it was a very difficult season with a with a like you say a, a nice climax, a good a good end to it. Um, but for the most part, you know, I was going back over uh, sort of the blog over the past season and looking at some of the some of the entries, and it's been pretty dark. There were some really dismal results, some some utter abject performances. Uh, and I think, you know, thank, thank God we, we ended it on the high that we did, because otherwise it would be a, a somewhat painful summer of introspection, I suspect. Mm. Andrew Allen, there were some dark times, were there not? There were uh, moments where we all thought, well, this is going to hell in a handbasket, basically. We had the sort of the cup exits, Gervinho, mm -hmm. the misses in Bradford and all that. It, it, I think given the fact that we finished where we finished and did so well to finish there, it, in a way it made us forget about those bad times because I think we really wanted to or needed to forget about them because they were pretty fucking off. Yeah. I mean, I mean the cup exits were bad, but you can always go out of a cup competition. I felt like maybe after the Swansea defeat at home, when we lost two nil, there was a real sense of depression across, um, you know, the, the, the blogging community first and first and foremost, but just, you know, the fans in general, I, and in the stadium, there was an air of, uh, you know, the end of an era, as it were. Um, but, you know, to be honest, we did incredibly well to come back from from, from particularly the seven-point gap that was in existence after the Spurs defeat at White Hart Lane. And, um, I mean, I've seen the, the ex-players criticising and a lot of the media stuff criticising the players for celebrating at the end of the season. But once they'd readjusted their aims and set themselves a target, you know, with a couple of months remaining, they did very well to achieve that. So, you know... It wasn't a great season by any means, but a bit like last year, it started badly. There were highs, it dropped again. And then there was this kind of frantic rush to the end to see who would finish where crossing the line. And, uh, I, you know, given the circumstances, I'd have taken this straight after that match against Spurs, that's for sure. Mm, Holly, you know, your thoughts on it? Because, you know, we've ended up in a, in a, in a really good place. Uh, given the circumstances, under the circumstances, and I guess people are looking at the season in general or as a whole uh, with that kind of veneer, you know, that we've come from a terrible position. We've come back. We've knocked Spurs out of the Champions League positions, which is a fantastic and amusing thing to do, given, uh, you know, who we've denied Champions League football. But it is, it is difficult as well to look at it as a whole uh, without looking back at those uh, bad moments too, were there times where you doubted our ability to get there? Oh, you bet there were. Uh, and I think I probably went in the print with them as well for possibly the first time, but it was a bit like going back and watching the Arsenal of the mid seventies and the mid eighties when you had teams where you didn't perhaps have the standout players. The squad didn't quite knit together. We had some quite horrendous times. And that, that is probably not a fair comparison because we are better than what those sides achieved. But in relative terms, this was, for me, the worst squad we've had in an, an Arsene Wenger reign. And the season panned out that way right through to that game at Tottenham, as you say, it was, there were some high moments. I enjoyed the, you know, like the League Cup game at Reading, the 7-3 against Newcastle, obviously the customary 5-2 at home to the share up the road. But generally they were lights in a, in a dark season. 
Sticking with you, what do you think of the, you know, you, you mentioned it's the worst squad in Arsene Wenger's reign, perhaps. Um, and these things, by the way, get that into perspective because the squads that have preceded them have been very, very good. Mm. What was there? I mean, Arsene Wenger t- said it took the, the, the team time to adjust to the absence of Robin van Persie. And over the course of the season, we've seen, uh, even though all these players, uh, perhaps apart from Cazorla, He's the only one, really, that's avoided criticism. But but Giroud's ended up with 17 goals. Podolski with 16 goals. Cazorla's got 12. Walcott, 21. Is is it not a more healthy position to be in than being as reliant as you were on the goals of one man, who was obviously Robin Van Persie? Uh, I, I guess people would say to you that the net result is what matters and the net result was the same. Yes, it was great that people came in and contributed and you did have four players scoring goals rather than one or two. Uh, but again, I think there's a there's an expectation that we'll probably go into later that we might at this stage, after the move of stadium, be doing a little better given the assets that we have available to us, and I'll leave that there. Mm. All right. Gilberto Silva, I want to put something to you, because we started the season uh, from a defensive point of view um, very well, and everyone sort of thought, okay, we're onto something here with Steve Bold, and people were talking about the Steve Bold effect after three games. We hadn't conceded a goal, but clearly something changed because we'd only scored one goal in those three games, and maybe Arsene Wenger felt that the balance of the team wasn't right or felt that the attacking side of our game was being negated by this uh, emphasis, or not emphasis, but focus on the, the defensive side of the game. Mm. It, it's curious that the end-of-season run-in has been based on going back to that uh, and going back to a more, right, let's not lose this game rather than go out and try to win it sort of a thing. Uh, do you wonder what might have happened if we'd sort of stuck with that from the very start? And even if we'd started more slowly, it might have been without too many of the uh, of, of the down points or without as many, I should say. I think uh, my personal perspective on that is that um, I'm not sure how secure that, that defence was. I mean, three games is quite a small pool from which to draw any conclusions but because it came at the start of the season it's a time where people are looking to uh, you know describe ascribe an identity to what was essentially a new team and I think that the the whole Steve Bold effect was perhaps overstated in that initial period um, for me the real significant shift came as I'm sure everyone is now aware after that Tottenham game where we conceded two goals with that ridiculously high line and then we saw a sort of a level of pragmatism introduced to the side that is I think almost unprecedented in Arsene Wenger's reign. There have been periods in the past when he first switched to 4-5-1, which were a little bit more conservative, but I've never seen an Arsenal side so readily uh, retreat and put men behind the ball when in a, you know, a, a good position in order to defend a lead. And that's really, you know, we, we've got what we wanted, but in order to do that, we've had to massively compromise our principles. And it'll be interesting uh, to see if he's prepared to stick with that going forward or if he returns to some of the, the more sort of typical flair that we associate with, with his sides. Mm. Andrew, it was, uh, it's kind of curious, isn't it, that the the 10 game run in to the end of the season will be remembered more for the defensive side of things that it's not something you could ever really uh, talk about when it comes to Arsene Wenger, that his teams, uh, you know, the, They've defended to varying levels of of competency, I guess, down the years. But this achievement, if you want to call it an achievement, and I think it is, given where we were and where we ended up, was primarily 
achieved by defending better. We didn't score a whole lot of goals apart from in a couple of games. You know, they were scraped sort of 1-0 or one goal uh, wins, and that was all down to the defense being able to hold on to leads when we got into them. Yeah, I mean, definitely the, the defense deserves praise for the manner in which they tackled the last, you know, 10 games or so. And so does Arson for, for making the changes that he did. I mean, on a side note, it was interesting that Steve Bowl didn't really get much credit for the last 10 games. It was Arson and the fact that he changed the personnel. I mean, I think the strange thing about some of those games was it was more a confidence that having gone 1-0 up, we could hold on to a lead. Whereas before we might have felt we could go and score two, three, four goals and then end up getting caught on the break. Um, at no point really did I feel in some of those games, even when we were really dominating, we really could have gone on and won by more goals. Did we actually bother to? And that was really a psychological thing, I think. The team kind of got nervous when they had the ball in possession and they kind of started to think, well, maybe we'll just be able to protect the lead. But, I mean, it's nice that the confidence returned to the defence and that the midfield felt like they didn't need to take any unnecessary risks going forward and that they could actually, you know, sit back and admire what the, you know, what was going on across the team. I mean, everybody worked very hard. There was also that sense that it really was last chance saloon. You know, every game felt like if you drop points you were out of it. And, you know, the way it turned out, I'm pretty sure Arsenal, Spurs and Chelsea in the last six games or so pretty much matched each other's points totals, which is phenomenal from all three teams because under the pressure, that's, you know, quite a points haul. But, you know... He's I never going to sell the ice cream going at that speed, is he? <laughs> I was just thinking, like, they're after you, they found you. Well, what, 26 points from 30, Andrew. Uh, is, is that... Um, an anomaly based on what we saw for the, uh, the the previous part of the season or something to build on going into the next one? You'd like to think we can build on it, that's for sure. I mean, the confidence the team can take from what's happened in the last 10 games is, is, is huge. Um, the problem is we now have a massive long summer break. Some players will probably get injured, no doubt, on international duty. Pre-season's always a stuttering thing. We'll see what happens with this uh, Champions League qualifier. I mean, we could end up facing a very difficult team very early on in the season and that really could shape how the first few weeks go. We just have to hope, you know, I, I hope and, and think that with a couple of additions, the team can go from strength to strength. I still think we're going to be lacking in terms of what we have on offer compared to other teams uh, to win the title, but we can certainly maybe consolidate a top four or maybe push on a bit further and try and win a, a cup. Uh, Gilberto Silva, your thoughts on that? I mean, does does this end of season run, is that something we should pick up where we left off or do we need to sort of tweak it a bit and and, and try and win games a bit more Arsene Wenger way or how should we go? I'm very much of the mind that uh, this is something, you know, it's a bit of a cliche already, but something to build on. Uh, and I mean that looking from the back of the team forwards, you know, the performances of the two centre-backs, Mertzsaka and Koscielny, and I've even got a lot of time for the, the partnership of Arteta and, and Ramsey ahead of that. Uh, and I think that that gives the team a great base, a great foundation uh, to, to then go and, you know, if we're going to bring in players, I think in the, in the flair positions ahead of that, that could be a useful thing. But the performances of those, those sort of core players uh, are something to build on. And although it does seem like an anomalous run, if you look traditionally at title winning sides, uh, you know, Manchester United tend to put together runs of extraordinary results from about January onwards. You know, that's the level of focus and concentration that is required to win a title. So if we have any aspirations to do that, uh, we need to be playing with that level of intensity from much earlier on in the season. 
And I think, to be fair, if you look at it, a lot will depend on exactly who is signed during the summer, if anybody. I know there's going to be this debate going on. We're only too happy to believe that Tottenham are always going to fall away at the end of the season. Too many are happy to agree that we're not going to sign anybody in the summer. Whoever turns up in the summer could strengthen us immeasurably and alter the way that we approach those, at least those early games, if not the season to come. Mm, interesting. We'll come to signings a little bit later on. Holik, I'll stick with you. Um, let's get into some of the of the season stuff. So tell me, uh, your one and two, please, uh, in terms of uh, player of the season. Um, it would be two from three. I, I mean, obviously, Santi Cazorla's got to be in there. For uh, someone who played his first season in the Premier League, I'll have a 99, please. Uh, for the person who played his first season in the Premier League, I thought he adapted to it. Like, oh, no, please don't say like a duck to water. But he, <laughs> he, he, just his level of performance for probably 90% of the games that he played, he set the example to everybody else. And then thereafter, I would have to personally say it would be a toss-up between either of the central defenders because I thought Koscielny and Mertesacker each have what the other lacks and so they blended together by the time they were put you know they became a pair so one of those two for te- second for me all right andrew tell me uh yeah i think i agree uh Cazorla definitely for for first place but i definitely see mertesacker as um if not the most uh improved player of the season at least one of them i suppose jenkinson might have a claim to that but i just thought he really grew into the season and and the fact that he played more games than uh, either Koscielny or Vermaal and made more starts just shows that he really was the kind of the go-to guy really I mean he was the one that um, Wenger depended on and, and interestingly at the beginning of the season when he was taken out that game against Chelsea in particular where Koscielny partnered Vermaal and the defence looked all over the place conceded two very sloppy goals I think Arsene realised from that point on that Vermaal was the guy who might be more questionable uh, so too Koscielny and, and Mertesacker was the guy you just couldn't afford to, to drop and he, he ended up sticking with him. I mean, he's he's not a glamorous player and the goals that he scored, okay, he got, you know, the, the great goal against Spurs, which I, I loved and, and obviously the, the goal against Fulham, but um, he, he's not kind of as dynamic on the pitch as Koscielny. So I can understand, I suppose, to a certain extent, why the readers of Arsenal.com have voted Koscielny number two in the player of the season and Mertesacker's not even in the top four, but... Um, I, I, I like I like the German. I think he's he's kind of quietly understated. Mm. I like that. I have to say I'm I'm the same. I I've, I did a visual of my players of the season there. <laughs> <laughs> so no, I think I, I think he's um, underrated and took a lot of stick last season. And um, you know, I think he's just been consistency isn't exciting, is it really? Because you know, it's a guy doing the the simple things and the effective things week in week out. So I can understand it to a certain point of view, but I think he, he's been hugely important. Gilberto Silva, are you are you going off, uh, off this kind of a narrative here? Are you sticking with those two, or who do you think? Yeah, no, I'd go for little and large as well. Um, I, I'd th- I'd throw in a name who I think is probably going to be deemed slightly controversial, but I do think that Theo Walcott had a, a tremendous season in terms of his pure statistics. There was a period, obviously, where he dipped off. But before Christmas, and also in the latter part of the season, he scored some some very important goals for us. 
and uh, 2022 goals from 31 starts for a player playing on, on the wide right for the majority of those games is a fantastic return. And let's hope that you know he can push on and, and continue to justify that enormous salary of his. Mm. Do you think that's what had an impact on on people's perception of him this season? Because, you know, I, I remember Van Persie saying... Um, that Walcott's a guy, you know, give him time, he'll score 20 goals a season. And it was sort of like, yeah, pff, whatever. You know, yeah. I like you, Robin. At that point, I, I liked him and sort of believed the stuff that he said, but uh, I still didn't believe that. I mean, the contract thing did have an impact on, on the way he was perceived because I remember you wrote a blog post and I wrote a post at the start of the season um, and you picked it up a bit earlier or, or later on in the season where, where Walcott was out of the team. He oh, was, yeah. like, sidelined completely, and nobody really had a problem with that. No, no. I mean, I, and I was absolutely convinced he was on the way out. I was in no doubt whatsoever that Theo Walcott's time at Arsenal would come to an end either in January or in May. I was really genuinely surprised when it turned out that he ended up staying. Uh, and I do think that, obviously, you know... That, We've gone through. We've got this history of players, you know, uh, going through these long sagas where they, they eventually walk away from the club, and that that definitely affected the way that Walcott's perceived. I think it damaged his relationship with the supporters to a degree, but I think he's also a little bit of a victim of kind of historical perception. I think he's a much better player now than he was five six years ago. But we've watched him uh, all through his development, and I think there's a degree of residual frustration. You know, when we see the bad things in Walcott's game, it reminds us of the Theo Walcott of two thousand and seven. And I think that there's a little bit of that at play too. I think he is a much better player now. Uh, and I, for one, I mean, I, I didn't think I'd be saying this in August, but now I'm very glad that he stayed. All right then. Um, Andrew, goal of the season, please. Um, I think there's a couple of Cazorla goals that stand out and they're not really the ones that people might think. Uh, obviously, he scored a couple of long-range crackers or well, the one at West Ham away. But um, the... Fourth goal against Spurs at home when uh, Giroud took the ball down, Podolski played it out wide and then the cross and, and Cazorla nipped in and scored. I thought that was a really nice team goal. And also the Cazorla kind of backheel team goal against West Ham. Both of those, I just thought it was the three new guys combining. At the time, both goals kind of, the, the Spurs one kind of settled a few nerves because only Arsenal could feel nervous at 3-1 up or, you know, at home to Spurs. Um <laughs> And the and the West Ham the West Ham goal was kind of in that middle of that blitz where we scored whatever it was three four goals in the space of eight minutes or something. Um, yeah, I just really like those. I, I'm a fan of team goals. Mm. Holick, tell me. Not technically the best, possibly, but there's a, a game that we go to in the wake of the win in Munich, where you wonder whether that was a fluke. Munich let us have it, gave up, didn't play, whatever. We're seven points behind Tottenham. We're in deep doo-doo. And Nacho Monreal puts us a goal up at Swansea, which is a game I think probably universally we expected to drop points at. And from that moment on, we were off on this horrible but wonderful run to grab the fourth place, celebrate it or not, that goal was so, so important. Mm, right, well, I've got two. I, I like, I really love Podolski's goal against Montpellier in the Champions League where uh, Giroud played it over the top and he just, you know, smashed it home with, with that left foot. But for me, I, I love Mertesacker's header against Spurs. Um, 
because it sort of looked simple, but it wasn't really a very simple goal at all because he had to sort of run back for the ball and get power on the header and uh, stick it in the top corner like that, I think was was absolutely fantastic. And you could see, I think that was, was that his first goal for the yeah. club? Yeah, yeah. And you could see you could see how much that meant to him as well. And it reminded me a bit of Sanya's header last season. You know, that one where we're 2-0 down and he was like, oh, fuck this shit. Come on. Right, come on, let's go and fucking beat these cunts. Um, so yeah, I like that one. That, for me, the murder sacker goal is uh, is my favourite. Uh, Gilberto Silver? Yeah, I think uh, I think Podolski against Montpellier, I think, is, is my favourite goal. I, I really love uh, the way that when Lucas Podolski in front of goal, there's no nonsense. You rarely see him side foot the ball. He just puts his foot through it, hits it with real power. You know, I loved his goal against West Ham as well, which was an absolute thraking shot from about 30 yards. Really fantastic strike. He scored a great one against Southampton too. But yeah, I, I definitely would go for Podolski. And I think if you're going to go for that one, you've also got to give honourable mention to, to Kieran Gibbs for his attempt to recreate it at Swansea, which was yeah. another great strike. Brilliant. All right. Um, game of the season. Which, which was the game of the season for you guys? <laughs> I mean, anyone, anyone not <laughs> enjoying that one? I mean... The game it's of every season. It's customary result now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, anything less than that in seasons to come, and you know, it's going to be. Good I just love going back in the water and the players and, and saying, "What's the time?" Yeah, yeah. Fine. Anyone, uh, Andrew, tell me. Uh, I guess you don't come back from four 0 down every season. Uh, it's probably even a, a once in a lifetime result. Uh, so that Reading game, even though it proved completely pointless in the end, um, that was a crazy night. Um, really was a kind of a weird emotional roller coaster being so kind of frustrated with a even a second string side and then just to see them come back and to score two goals in 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 the last couple of minutes uh and then to still throw it away and you know think you've won it and then have another go and even Chamak scored two goals so you know that may be the last two goals we ever see him score <laughs> ever ever, ever. Are, yeah, for the rest possibly. of his entire career whether he's at Arsenal or not <laughs> yeah Gilberto Silver, have we uh, done you? No, we haven't. No, we haven't. Um, <laughs> I'll, uh, <laughs> you know I'm that. actually going to go for Reading as well, um, so you might as well have missed me out. But I, no, I, really, I think it's kind of, there's a, it's, it has a sort of microcosmic element for our entire season. The first half was really, you know, dreadful, embarrassing. We put ourselves in a, a horrific position and we pulled ourselves out of it. Uh, and it was just absolutely enthralling. Like I watched the highlights again the other day and, you forget that the sheer drama, you know, we scored the goal in the last 93rd minute or whatever to take it to uh, extra time. And then the actual drama of extra time itself up and down and, you know, getting the goal in the way that we did. Um, but I, it does, you know, it is compounded my frustration that we did that only to then go out to Bradford. So that's the, the one blight against that particular game. What, what about the Bayern Munich game in terms of where we were when we went into that game and, how we came out of it because uh, Holic yeah. just mentioned that the Swansea game and that that was a really difficult away trip just after Bayern Munich and and when you look at the run in you know to go to the Allianz and win two nil and and there's a moment in that game where you know Cristiano had just scored and then Bayern have the ball and they have it in our corner flag and they're sort of hanging it down they're keeping it in there because you know they're they're nervous they're a bit desperate because they know. That like one goal is gonna is gonna change anything, and I think to have them, you know, in that position was something a bit remarkable. To beat them two nil was it was a fantastic result as well, and also what it meant for the team's confidence and belief going forward for the rest of the season. 
Yeah, I definitely think that was a hugely pivotal moment in the season and, and you, you can't underestimate the importance of it in, in that respect. Uh, I suppose as an individual game, um, my only sort of qualm about having it as my match of the season is, is my slight doubt over... Uh, well, Bayern was certainly very focused by then. Uh, there is, I suppose, a slight question mark over how their attitude going into the game. Um, and we did our job, certainly, to the best of our capabilities. But um, I think uh, if we'd gone through... I think it definitely would be up there, but I suppose just the emotional aspect of not actually getting through the round means that I, I suppose uh, it's not quite my game of the season. Hmm. Anyone else got any uh, anything to chime in on the game of the season or any games? I really still enjoyed the one-one draw at Newcastle. <laughs> <laughs> that was magic. That was brilliant. Yeah, I believe it's still one-one. <laughs> still one-one. All right then. Um, Who's got a hero? The hero of the season. Do we have heroes? Are we maybe too old for that now? Or is it you know? Well, maybe we could go with Sir Alan Sugar for for, for telling everyone it was one <laughs> That was really just a fantastic moment, wasn't it? Because that guy in the t-shirt. You know, you remember that uh, the game at Old Trafford, the one nil, when Overmars scored that, and the guys like, you know, in the crowd, and they show him every time, you know, with the curly hair and. I guess he's he's a bit of a hero, a legend uh, at this point. That Spurs guy in the T-shirt, he was going more mental than the guy after Overmar scored. Yeah. It's foolish, really. I suppose if you'd been put in a similar situation, you 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 genuinely thought that was the case, then you might... Oh, I mean, how but terrible... If only we had a way of fact-checking information instantly in our pockets. <laughs> Apparently, I, I suppose, spoken to, you know, friends who are Tottenham fans, I, I call them friends, acquaintances, and uh, they were saying the extraordinary thing about that incident is that all the Spurs fans had radios. They all had access to the result. It was just sort of, I don't know, the will to disbelieve, the, the, you know, this information uh, that took hold of them. They all assumed that every other device was somehow on a delay and Alan Sugar was the only man privy to this information. Um, yeah, that was definitely a, a highlight of the season, that one. Anyone else stick out? I mean, it doesn't have to be Arsenal. Anyone else? or Ashley Williams, I think, made himself popular with his antics with Robin Van Persie. Could have killed him. <laughs> yeah. You know. Lucky to survive. Credit credit for attempting it. You know, unfortunately, it didn't pay off. He's an Arsenal fan at heart. Yeah. yeah. All right then, uh, villain of the season uh, for me, obviously. Um, see, I've come prepared with props and everything. I'm like fucking carrot top here. I still can't um, read it. <laughs> do you want to hold it a bit closer? I know you got you got your glasses on. How's that? Uh, oh yeah. Ah, yeah, yeah right. Yeah, yeah. And I'll All tell you why. I I. The more I think about this, the more I believe that Van Persie, like he, he went a bit psychopath on Andre Santos. And it's not to defend Santos as a player you because he Santos. has his shortcomings. The shirt thing, you know. I mean, he knew how that would go down. Surely he knew how Do that would go that? down. Yeah, but how could he not have known? He's been in England for, what, eight years or nine years? And if we can excuse Santos, the... Uh, the cultural differences where they, you know, they exchange shirts in the middle of the game, apparently in Brazil or whatever. It's not a thing. Nobody cares. But Van Persie knew. And he knew how contentious his departure was from Arsenal, right? So he knew if he gave anyone a shirt going off the pitch at halftime, it would be reacted to extremely badly. It wasn't everyone went, oh, Van, Ker Van Persie, you fucking cunt giving him a shirt. It was like, oh, he took the shirt. You know, it could have been done in the tunnel and, and there would have been true. no hassle. 
But then if Van Persie is such an evil genius, why did he target Andre Santos? Why Maybe. didn't he think, I'll, I'll get Cazola or I'll get, you know, someone good? Maybe Santos, you know, sped into his parking spot one day at the training ground, 300 <laughs> miles an hour. Or at his pudding at fucking lunch. I don't know. I don't know why. Santos seemed to think they were friends, but for me, that was that was quite villainous indeed. I thought that, you know, leaving aside his whole departure to, you know, United, I thought that was awful. Let's turn the guns outward for a moment as well. There's another obvious candidate, of course, in our friend up at Liverpool who now wants to go to Real Madrid. Mm. Um, what's the common bond between Suarez and Van Persie? You'd have either of them back in a heartbeat at our place next season, I suspect. Big teeth but, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and a Lifetime Achievement Award for John Terry. Oui. <laughs> it's, uh, it's funny, I was thinking about this one, and probably the three candidates for Footballer of the Year are probably my biggest villains of the season. You've got Van Persie, you know, and I don't think any more needs to be said about that. You've got Suarez that Alex just touched upon, and then Gareth Bale, who was very nearly the reason we weren't in the top four. Uh, and so, you know, the three most lauded footballers in England had to put up with it for God knows how long. The three guys I can't stand the sight of at the moment. <laughs> and Bale was booked, what, four or five times for simulation this season? Yeah. Six. Six, I believe. Wasn't and it only got funnier when <laughs> the decision was incorrect. I <laughs> well, that Especially last day against last... Sunderland was a terrible one, wasn't it? He was guilty every run before that. But the last you know, people, day... call, people call for uh, retrospective punishment for divers, but I think Gareth Bale's proof that there's plenty. You know? <laughs> Andrew, who have you got? Or have you got anyone different from, from who we yeah, put I, forward? I think, I think the player who kind of most agitated the crowd at the Emirates this season was the Norwich keeper, Mark Bunn, who it later turned out was a Spurs fan. And God, it was great to see those goals going at the end and watch him react because he just looked like a tit. Um, I mean, you can't really call him a villain because he ended up being a victim in the end. But yeah, God, it was it was it was great getting those goals at the end. Mm. It is nice, you know, when when a when a player does that because we've seen it loads of times, haven't we? Where a goalkeeper has been uh, delaying over goal kicks and going to the other side of the box to the other, and sometimes it it doesn't work. There was a brilliant incident a couple of seasons ago, wasn't there? Where there was a was it against Wigan and Kirkland, Kirkland yeah. where, where we scored yeah. and Henri ran up and presented him with the ball or something? <laughs> right then. Okay. So we've done those of the season things. I was going to do a moment of the season. Does anyone have any other sort of individual moment that stood out aside from sort of games and goals or anything like that? Was there anything a little bit special? If not, we can move on. Probably loads of them, but let's move on. All right. Okay. You're you're the boss. Oh, there here. was one thing. There was a nice. There was a very nice tribute uh, on the anniversary of uh, David Rocastle's. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's worth a mention. That was in the ground. That was a, a really lovely moment. All right. Cool. All right. Well, look. Let let let's look ahead to to the summer, and um, Hollick, it, it does look as if probably for the first time in a number of seasons that we're not going to lose one of the big stars and, and you can sort of discuss or debate whether or not that's because we don't really have one to lose uh, at this moment in time. That That's a different thing. We might see uh, Bakary Sanya, who for me, actually, I was going to ask you uh, if there was a, an individual performance of the season that stood out for you uh, from, from any one player. And uh, I had written down Sanya at Sunderland, yeah, Sunderland. Yeah. which was just brilliant because he'd sort of slotted in at, 
Uh, that was when you think about that. Sanya went into centre half, and Aaron Ramsey went to to right back, um, and we we held off, and that was pretty remarkable, actually. Bit, bit sort of team spirit. Yeah. Any other individual performances that stood out that sort of dragged us over the line, or? I think Walcott's hat trick against uh, Newcastle was was very important. Um, he took his chances that night in a way that, you know, the old Theo Walcott didn't take his chances. He was very clinical. The first goal in particular, I watched it again this afternoon. It was, it was so Henri-esque, it could have been Henri himself. And I suppose that's the biggest compliment you can really pay, uh, pay Theo in that respect. Um, as for Sanya, it was a great performance at Sunderland. I'd say he arguably undid all of his good work with that kind of suicidal 10 minutes against United where he kind of kept giving the ball away and then fouled Van Persie and uh, that was a bit silly but you could see he really took that quite personally after that so uh, yeah we'll see I'll, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt Well was it, it a season uh, Gilberto Silver of more uh, team performances rather than individuals? I think so. I mean, uh, and, and when when the individuals did shine, it's telling that we're looking primarily at defensive contributions. Um, you know, Koscielny on the final day, I think, deserves enormous credit. Uh, and there were a couple of Aaron Ramsey performances, I thought, uh, in the run-in where he was slotting in at full-back and things like that. I think that may have been at Sunderland as well, where I thought he was really outstanding and showed, you know, what a team player he is and how versatile he can be. Um, but for the most part, I think it was more about the way that we put a cohesive defence together and managed to actually create some functionality within the team as a unit, which uh, was a, a nice change to see. All right. People spoke earlier as well about the one player that we've kind of not mentioned because it was in the first half of the season was Jenkinson, given a run of games looked the part and by the time he came to lose his place when Bakary was fit again he was probably our most creative player as well in terms of getting quality balls into the box mm. he does have quality balls <laughs> so so I believe anyway. I'll feed him yeah all right well look uh, this could take us nicely into to the next bit because um Sanya looks to be about the only big player who's going to leave Vermaelen and said he's going to stay and fight for his place. And I think that's a good thing. I think if, if we're looking at the squad at the moment, Vermaelen as a third-choice centre-half is about as good as it gets in, in the Premier League. So looking ahead, um, stay with you, Hollick. We're not going to take a step backwards, as we have done in previous seasons where we've lost you know, Van Persie last summer, Fabregas and Nasri with no time to really replace them properly and no time for, for those players to come in and bed down during preseason, et cetera, et cetera. So we do have a good chance to sort of, right, here's where we are. We might lose Sanya, but let's build on what we've got. So so um, how active are you expecting the club to be in the transfer market this summer? Uh, four or five players active. Yeah. Really, really, uh, you're asking me what I, what I think they should be doing, what I, what will actually happen. God only knows. But you're talking about a summer in which we're not going to go backwards, but we are if we don't keep pace with the signings that are going to be made by those around us. They're all going to strengthen. I'm sure we will as well. There's a danger of getting too negative with all of this. You know, I'm not the person to talk to about 
who we're going to sign. I'm not mm. going to speculate on all that sort of stuff. But I have to believe. I think there's a possibility now. I thought we ought to sign a goalkeeper. I think there's a possibility we may try and go with the two poles that we've got, given Fabianski's performances before he got injured. So but, let me ask you this then. Would a, yeah. would a goalkeeping coach be well, a better a signing than a goalkeeper? It's kind of the conversation of the moment, isn't it? And here are we on the outside of the club making a judgment that because the standard of the goalkeeping appears to have gone backwards, then there may be a link that, yeah, I would I would accept that's something that's got to be looked at. All right, Andrew, um, what do you think in terms of the, the quality of player and the calibre of player that we can bring in now? Because we do have this new deal from Emirates and there is the the supposed new deal with with Puma, but obviously that's not that's not coming until uh, until 2014. But given what we have in the bank already, given what uh, is out there in the transfer market, we, we ought to be looking at you know more Cazorlas and less Shamax and Parks and that kind of stuff, right? Yes, yeah, I mean part of it's really going to come down to you can see the clubs with mega money are starting to get their wallets out and they're the clubs who are going to spend early because they're the clubs who are effectively going to finance a lot of other deals further down the line the way the football world works seems to be that a huge injection of cash goes in and then that money trickles out to everybody else um so with monaco buying big you can imagine that paris saint-germain are going to buy big obviously barcelona are going off for neymar uh, real madrid likewise will probably try and chase bell we hope fingers crossed yes. um but i think the second phase will be Arsenal. So I'm hoping rather than us usually doing what we well, doing what we usually do, which is leave everything to the last couple of weeks and try and push through a deal, that we try and focus on that middle part of the summer, do some good negotiations. Arsenal, you know, he's not going to change his spots, I don't think. He'll still try and look for a decent deal. So I, I, I just, as much as I want to believe that he's going to go out and spend £25 million, he's going to do it if he thinks the player is worth £25 million. The problem is, is I think Arsenal probably thinks that some of the world's greatest players aren't worth the prices that they're going for. So that automatically creates a problem. I, I don't know who we're going to sign. I have no idea. I, I, I tend at this time of year to just sort of turn off when I see the names, especially the more glamorous ones, because it seems silly to try and get your hopes up because there's this constant fluctuation of they're definitely coming in and they're definitely not coming in. We ran that article on the news site saying Arsenal missed out on X or whatever it was. Um, <laughs> We'll just have to see. I, I, I think we have real scope to bring in a couple of top quality players and then maybe a couple below that rung. Whether those players are, are young and British and he tries to pursue that kind of uh, policy, which he's obviously decided is, is one worth following, we'll have to wait and see. Do you mind Silver, if I pop back in again? Sorry, Andy. Do you mind Go if on. I pop back in again? I of think course. there's a couple of points for me. The reason I say I think there's going to be a significant number of players coming in is twofold. One is there are going to be the offloading of the deadwood because you can't, you know, that you're going Arsh. I mean, Ben uh, De Nielsen, Santos, these sorts of guys. The other is there's been a culling of the reserves that are coming up underneath them as well. Mm. So there aren't that many players pushing to get promoted into the squad. So to have the squad going forward, you have to bring in finished article this summer. The other point I would make is that I don't think we're going to be put off by high price tags because I think with the commercial deals that are now in place, we can structure the transfer fees 
in a way that will suit our finances going forward. What will make a difference is the salaries that the players were after my command because they're getting paid out from day one. So we'll probably still, yes, of course, we're still going to be behind City, Chelsea, United, PSG, the rest of them. But as Andy says, we're in that second tier and should be looking to get players in before that Champions League qualifier. Mm. Gilberto Silva is a man with his uh, finger on the transfer pulse. Uh, what's your th- <laughs> what's your thoughts dead. then on this summer? <laughs> no, um, I uh, no, I won't be too too down. I think uh, I'd predict that we'd sign three senior players. So I wouldn't include uh, the likes of Yaya Sonogo or, or any players younger or, or more prone to injury. Um, I think uh, you know I think Sonogo is a good prospect, but I think we'll sign three senior players, and by that I mean players in that sort of you know twenty three plus age bracket. Um, and uh, I, but I, I'll be honest, I do have a concern. I do have a concern that Wenger will feel that he can't find value. Um, as he has in the past, uh, you know the, the the shackles are looser. There's more money in the bank, but he still has to battle with his own convictions about what's appropriate value for a player. And uh, normally, to get the men you want in football, you've got to pay more than they're worth. You've got to pay what the club wants, and those two things are not the same. Uh, if you can get over that hurdle, then the money's there to bring to bring two or three in. Uh, and I think he certainly needs to uh, because I think a lot of other clubs around us will strengthen. So. Mm. Do, do you think maybe that the fact that this this summer could be his his very last hurrah? Let's face it, his his contract is up in twenty fourteen. It's not assured in any way that he's going to sign a new deal. He knows that the club he's brought the club to a point where uh, the financial situation is much more stable. Mm. It's much more uh, positive for the club that you know. It, if he sort of, if he even if he hasn't spent as much as he should have spent, or hasn't spent what's available to him, you can kind of understand in in a way why if he's been cautious, right? Yeah. And nobody's expecting us to be Chelsea or Man City or anything like that. But here he is, a year before his contract ends, so he can say, right, this is my last real go at it, or I want to put a team together that gives me another two years or three years if I want to stay in the job, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You know that he he has to then pay the money that clubs want for players that, that he might want to bring in. I hope so. I mean, he, he, you know, my hope is that he feels he's earned it as you suggest, you know, uh, he's, but there's been this uh, period of, of not spending too much money of making profits in transfer window. Uh, and that's all to put the club in the position where it is now, where it can afford to go and spend. And I think, you know, uh, Wenger would be foolish to allow that opportunity to pass into the hands of another manager. You know, he's got this summer to really take advantage. Uh, and he hinted that Alex Ferguson kind of uh, knew he was on the way out when he signed Robin van Persie. Um, so I hope Wenger buys himself a sort of similar calibre of, of, of present, <laughs> whether or not he stays after 2014. Quite funny, actually, isn't it, that van Persie is now going to be uh, coached by Phil Neville. <laughs> Maybe it's just me, but I find that amusing. All right, look, final question, and I know this is, you know, not really what we do, but like fantasy football manager thing, if if... You know, you could sign any one player for this Arsenal team. You know, who 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 is it that you would sign? Who who would you bring in? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'll stick with you, Gilberto Silver. I'll let the other two have a moment to think. But who, who would it be? Uh, I could... uh, you know, I've thought about it a lot already. That's that's why. Yeah, um, <laughs> it would be uh, it would be uh, all my time playing football manager. I, I would, it would be a centre forward. 
I think there's an unusually high, I was talking about this with a friend the other day, there's an unusually high number of top quality centre forwards on the market this summer. Usually you can't buy those players. Um, but if you look around, and I'm not suggesting that we're in for anyone of this level, but Falcao is going to move. Cavani is almost certainly going to move. Lewandowski is going to move. Um, even at the tier below, there's a lot of talk about, you know, Higuain, uh, Jovetic, Torres will probably shift off somewhere, although he's not really at that level anymore. And um, there's a lot of top strikers out there, and I'd love us to be in for one of them. Um, I mean, I think Lewandowski to Bayern's a done deal, but in a fantasy world, he's only on 20 grand at Bayern. I would just chuck everything we can afford at him and just see how we go. Uh, he's the sort of caliber of player I'd love us to get hold of. All right, Andrew. I'm not very good at these games because I'm so. I kind of try and keep my dreams very much in check. It's why my friends think I'm kind of quite down about life in general. If um, you say it out loud, it doesn't come through. That's one of the Andrew things. knows best. Um, oh, well, I, 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 there's no point even picking Messi and Ronaldo and, and even Falcao. I, I think you're right. I think a realistic one would be either get Cesc back and put him in the midfield or, or buy Van Persie back and put him in the reserves. <laughs> It's football manager. Of course it's messy. Who else is it? <laughs> You're taking the easy way out, Holly, are you? Well, I'll tell you what. If you really want to be controversial, I sort of hinted at it earlier. Let's go for Suarez. Wow. Okay. Interesting. He's a player, in fairness, but... He's a goal scorer. Yeah. He's, He's a horrible little shit. <laughs> mm. it, yeah. Would you, would you rather see Suarez or Rooney in an Arsenal shirt? Suarez every day. Suarez, of the week. Yeah. every day of the week. I don't. I don't think Rooney will fit in an Arsenal shirt. <laughs> <laughs> he can have Santos's. Van Persie probably nicked it. <laughs> but no, no, that's an interesting one. I don't see. I mean, the Rooney stuff is is ludicrous, isn't it? So absurd. You know, I think he's a guy that's going to be finished by the time he's thirty, thirty-one. You know, he's just so you know corpulent. <laughs> <laughs> He's a bit, he could fucking go on and play Inspector. Who is the guy? Rumpole of the Bailey. That's who he could be. He's 33 years of age. I, I don't see Rooney as a lawyer anytime soon. No, maybe not. I have to tell you, he's not a great actor. That's the worry, though, Andrew. If you, if you, if you there's a great man you advert out there. I've said um, the wonder why. Yeah, yeah. They say a devil is coming. It's, <laughs> it's charismatic stuff. All right, well, look, we'll uh, we'll pass on Rooney for his uh, lack of acting abilities alone. But, uh, gents, we better leave it there. Thank you very much indeed. Andrew Allen, thank you. Thank you. Uh, Gunnar Hollick, thank you very much indeed. Thank you very much. And, by the way, everybody who is betting on me to be the first to fall off my stool on Twitter, you're wrong. Yeah. None of us have, have had stool accidents here this evening. Gilberto of, Silver. Of, of, any, of any kind. Of any kind. It's important. And, uh, right, well, look, we better leave it there. Thank you all for watching. Uh, apologies for all the nonsense at the start. And, uh, well, see you next season. Until then, take it easy. Cheers. Bye-bye. Cheers, all. Bye.